0: With that said, this month, my wife and I celebrate 15 years of marriage. Now, I've learned a little bit over 15 years. One of those things is to never go clothes shopping with my wife. Most men uh, learn that uh, after a few years of ministry, but I remember actually when I learned that lesson. We were uh, probably about two years into our marriage, maybe a little less. Uh, but I was hired on at a church in Williamstown, West Virginia, and because we were poor and because we had not long been out of college, uh, my clothes were not in the best of shape. Well, the church was very generous after hiring me and gave me a couple of thousand dollars to go and basically buy me a new wardrobe. Now we. Got to the mall, and probably after 20 minutes, I had about six shirts and seven pairs of pants and a few new belts and some ties, and I was done. And there was a little bit of money left. Now, by God's sovereignty, we ended up running into one of the deacon's wives, and there she said, Well, if you're done, you should give the rest of the money to your wife. She needs some clothes, too. So I made the quick phone call, got the permission to say that was okay. And uh, it was one of those moments where later I realized what happened. Because I spent the next couple of hours with her in that mall looking for clothes. And I remember getting especially irritated as I sat there waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting as she tried on what looked to be the exact same outfit seven times. But 15 years later, I understand what actually happened. Ladies, I don't mean to be offensive. If you take offense of this... But your clothes are goofy. <laughs> it became apparent that one company can make a pair of jeans and slap a size four on it. The sa- a different company makes the same size and slaps the size eight on it. And how is any woman supposed to know? Any woman supposed to know what exactly she's supposed to fit? I understand now why it takes forever. I do not go shopping with her anymore. But it got me to thinking, take a goofy system like that and put it in a culture where numbers like that can shape a woman's self-image. Consider that the size that is printed on the inside of a waistband isn't just a number. For some women, it can make them feel proud, happy, beautiful. For others, inferior, broken, unhealthy. Unhealthy unattractive her mood her day can be made or broken and whether or not she can fit into the measurement she values that is stamped on the inside of that waistband what that goofy system does is almost upsetting my topic with you though this morning is measurements now not clothing size really but the measurements that we often take that make us feel unhealthy, insecure, and shameful. All of us do it. All of us measure. We look at other people and how they mother. We look at how they homeschool. We look at how much they know, what they're able to do, what kind of respect they might have, or so on. And it's almost automatic at times. And it becomes a big reason why we're perhaps confident when we should not be But more than likely, because of those kind of measurements, we feel insecure. Now to talk about this subject, I turn here to 1 Corinthians 4. And just before this text, uh, uh, the Bible explains how different ministers who were called to spread the gospel play different roles. Now over the course of the Bible, there are a number of different pictures used to describe ministers, farmers, athletes, soldiers, The picture here is a lot closer to the idea of being a farmer. The idea that God might use one person to prepare the ground, another person might be used to plant a seed, another person used to water, and even an entirely different person gets the joy of seeing it grow and bear fruit. But each role is necessary. None is greater than the other. And the idea here was, in Corinth, that there were people lining up behind certain men, and it was creating division. And these people were measuring these men. For example, they were saying, some were saying, well, you know what, I look at Paul, and I look at what he does, and you know what, I don't understand why he's a big deal. And others would say, well, I look at Paul, and I think, guy, that's the only deal. And there were other men involved. They were measuring out a man by the name of Apollos, who was probably the pastor there at Corinth. For some odd reason, the Apostle Peter was coming up, and people were measuring him out and saying, well, I kind of like him. And so our text this morning really is Paul's response to such measurement taking. And while he applies these principles here mainly to ministers, certainly these are principles that we will find in other places in Scripture applied to all believers. So, what I want to share with you this morning are the principles he lays out about measuring your life. Number one, the first principle he shares with him is that there are wrong measurements, and those wrong measurements are others, the world, and ourselves. There are wrong measurements, and that would be others, the world, and ourselves. Look at verse 3. The Bible says, it is a small thing that I should be judged by you. The idea of being judged is the modern idea of measuring. Back in chapter 1, again, as I said, they were these people were, were measuring out each man's strength and weakness. So the idea would be, well, I like Peter because he's always funny. Or, I like Apollos because he's easy to listen to. Or, I like Paul because he really gets into the theology. Or, they would go and measure him out and say, you know what, I'm going to go with Paul because he's a bit more famous. Or, else they would say, you know, I'm going to go with Peter because, you know, he's one of the original. Or, they would say, you know, I'm going to go with Apollos because he leads this big, important church. And it was even down to the idea of, I don't want to go with Paul, he's too short. Well, I'm going to go with Peter because he's married. I'm going to follow Apollos because he's from a good family. So when he says here, it is a small thing to be judged by them. That's what he's talking about, and he's saying to them, "I give no consideration to those measurements." But then he note we note here he says the next is it's a small thing then to be judged by any human court. Now this takes a little bit of explaining. You see. We see in the book of Acts, the early church, uh, one of the things they had to face was the Roman legal system really didn't know what to do at first with Christianity. Uh, At times, uh, certain religions were legal in the Roman Empire and others were not, and Judaism was legal. And at the beginning of the church, uh, the the legal system said, well, this is just more Judaism, so it'll be fine. But as the church grew and Christianity became very distinct, the legal system said, no, this this is an illegal religion. And so what Paul is saying here is, uh, I give no consideration to the measurements of a human court. Now for him, that was going to represent the world itself. The world trying to determine whether or not what Paul was doing when he spread the gospel was a good thing or a bad thing. The world measuring out whether or not what Paul believed was a good thing or a bad thing. And Paul is saying, "Nope, I give no consideration to their measurements. But then he gives one more note. He says, I don't even measure myself, and from other passages, it's clear what he under, what he means here. In other places, Paul will pull out all of his credentials. He'll talk about his education and his background and his heritage and so forth, and he ends up calling all of it foolish measurements. Later, he'll call all of it rubbish as he pursues Christ. So he's rejecting their measurements. He's re- rejecting the, the world's measurements, but then he's not even going to play that game in his own head. He's saying, I'm not going to compare miles traveled or churches started or babies kissed. In fact, in 2 second, uh, second Corinthians, he describes people who do such a thing as ignorant, particularly ignorant of the gospel. Now, each one of these are measurements that most of us will use without a second thought. A group of girls might graduate from college, and the ones who are about to get married, or the ones who are not going to get married, will often measure themselves against the ones who are. And anybody who lives in a culture, a society, a town, an area, they know what the people around them value. Women know what pant size society values. They see it every day as they go through the grocery store. Men know what a a society values as they talk about the men who have the good skills or the big bank accounts. A teen and a college student, they know what their peers value. We know what kind of personalities are valued, what kind of skills are valued, what kind of spouses are valued. And we end up measuring ourselves against those things again and again and again, and we grow more insecure. The Bible's saying here, no, as Christians, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. Those are the wrong things. Measurements. Now, we don't have to really question in this country whether or not Christianity is legal. And I would even say it's probably going to be a long time before it is illegal. But what we are experiencing is this as I read more and more a number of these court cases that are getting decided, whether it's at the Supreme Court or on a state level, and whether the Christian wins or loses, there's always somebody with this opinion some judge writes some opinion that says in essence christians need to reconsider what they believe well there was the cake shop incident in colorado got all the way to the supreme court two justices voted against him and in their written response it was basically the idea christians need to change what they believe during the pandemic when churches would side for or against there was always a judge who would say you know what These Christians really need to evaluate or modernize their belief. So the question of the pressure begins as we're experiencing to, to see whether or not we're going to let those authorities tell us what it means to be a Christian. To tell us whether or not what we're doing is good and bad. What we believe is good and bad. But the hardest one, I think, of all of these is the games we play in our own head. We find something, and we use that as a measuring stick. We say to ourselves, I should be faster, stronger, smarter, like Bob. Or we might say, I should be less emotional, I should weigh less, I should have more money. Like Susan. Sorry, Susan. (laughs) I should know what to say, I should know what to do. Yet yet I'm not one of those people. I'm not like so-and-so. Or we might say to ourselves, well, look at me. Look how much time I've given. Look how much time I've put in. How much effort I've made. I should be more respected, more honored. But it doesn't matter which way we come from in our own head. It's really just pride. It's all self-measuring. Using our own little personal measures. In all of this, Paul is saying, nope. There are wrong measures. And that would be others, the world, and even ourselves but then he comes number two i want to share the second principle of measuring the life and that is there are right there is a right measurement and that is gospel faithfulness there is a right measurement and it is gospel faithfulness go back with me to verses one and two he gives us the the answer so what is the right measurement in verse two he says a steward should be found faithful to be found as something means that you are measured and complete. So the measurement here is faithfulness. But even faithfulness is marked out for us here because he says, I'm faithful to the mysteries of God. And he'll use that phrase in another place to describe the gospel. So, so you put it together, he's saying, no, the measure here is gospel faithfulness. But then leads us to the question, what does that look like? Well, he helps us here. Look at verse 1, he says, Let a man so account of us. He starts with the personal. The us here is uh, grammatically pointing back to verse 22 in, in chapter 3. So he's talking about himself and Apollos and Peter. Now in the previous chapter, what Paul does is lay out how they are different than each other. And that means that faithfulness is not it, it, faithfulness then would be measured according to their differences. So if I can explain it this way, he says, the measurement is not if all three men faithfully wear jeans, if you want to use that example. He's saying, look, if Peter's ministry requires him to wear jeans, does he? If Paul's ministry requires him to wear dress pants, does he? If Paulus' ministry requires him to wear shorts, does he? That's the idea of faithfulness. But then you come to the next phrase. He says, as ministers of Christ. Now this is really interesting, and I'm not normally a word guy, but this caught my attention. This is not the normal term for minister or servant. It is the idea of free employment. What he's saying here is that anyone who is placed in a position in a church, pastor, deacon, Sunday school teacher, whether you're a ministry head like a one or a youth or women's or ministry uh, music, The idea is whether you were voted to serve, asked to serve, you are there, and you are there in your freedom. And this faithful, gospel faithfulness, is the measurement to be used. But then he gives us a third describer, that of a steward. The idea of a steward is one is entrusted. He'll use the term to describe Timothy as a pastor. He'll allude to the fact that his mother and grandmother were faithful stewards. In 1 Peter 4, the Bible applies the term to all believers. So we could say it this way, anytime somebody becomes a Christian, they are on some level a newly appointed steward. Given the grace of God and trusted with the gospel, that is the faithfulness by which you are to measure. But gospel of faithfulness is very liberating, but it is also terrifying. For example, gospel of faithfulness will tell a wife that she is married to no other man but her husband that it's absolutely silly for her to compare herself to other wives because other wives are not married to her husband. The husband she has is is the man God sovereignly gave her. But when she sacrifices in a way that is particular to her husband, when she lays down her life for another, she shows gospel faithfulness. Or you can say to a mom that she's only a mom to her children. And whether she has to use formula or not use formula or cloth diaper or not cloth diaper, it doesn't matter. She doesn't measure herself to other moms because other moms are not mothers to her children. When a mom sacrifices in a particular way to her children, laying down her life for her children, she does what Jesus did for us, gospel faithfulness. And you know what happens when we think this way? Invalid measurements go away and with them go away invalid pressures. She will be measured by her gospel faithfulness to that particular man. To those particular children. But if you think about it, that's also terrifying. Because the measurement then is the measurement of her faithfulness, gospel faithfulness to her children. To that man. If you think about it as a as someone who might lead a ministry or be in a ministry... It's liberating because, you know, you're not being measured by how the last guy did it. Not being measured by how much numbers you're able to get up, whether they're people or bank account numbers. You're not measured by whether or not it is a big deal or a little deal within the church. You're able to be free of those things. But that also means that the measurement is your gospel faithfulness to this time, this place. The idea here is, is that you belong to the church. You are called to lay down your life. For every Christian, gospel faithfulness means whatever situation you find yourself in, you are responsible for the task of either planting or watering or building the gospel. The measurement is not going to be whether or not your third grade kid is reading, or is reading at a fifth grade level. The measure isn't going to be whether or not your arthritic hip hip keeps you from working in the kitchen or singing in the choir. Gospel faithfulness means that you are planting, watering, building, using the grace that God has given you to minister in whatever God has sovereignly put you in. So you rejoice in the grace that liberates you. And you take seriously the grace that calls you to be faithful to whatever or whoever God has put in front of you. That's the right measurement. But then we come to number three, and the third principle that he wants to lay out in front of us about measuring our lives, and that is this. The final measure belongs to Jesus. The final measure belongs to Jesus. Come to verses four and five. The Bible says, I know of nothing of myself. The point Paul is making is when it comes to using that right measurement, when he applies it to his life, he says, I don't know of anything I could be accused Remind yourself, these were people who were going, mm, I'm not really sure he's an apostle. Or people who were saying, you know what, I'm not really sure we want him to come back and speak again. Some people were saying, I'm not really sure this guy is as important as you think he is. Paul saying, look, if I use the right measurement of gospel faithfulness, my conscience is clean. But Then he moves on, he says, yet yeah, I am not hereby justified. And what he's saying is that just because he can't find anything of which he can be accused, he doesn't come immediately to the conclusion that the Lord sees things the same way. You go to the next verse, he says, judge nothing before it's time. He says that time would be when the Lord returns. Now, he's not trying to make them anxious. He's not trying to say, you know what, I can't find anything wrong with me, but maybe when Jesus comes, he might find something wrong with me. No, what he's doing is he's recognizing authority. Paul's saying, well, as far as I know, my conscience is clean, but the judgment, the final judgment, isn't mine. It's the Lord's. And he explains in the rest of the verse, he says, He will bring to light the things that are hidden, will make manifest the counsels of the heart. He's saying, when the Lord returns, all the things, all the actions of people will be revealed, even the ones that they did when no one was looking. And he says, not only will we see the action themselves, but we will. he will reveal, we'll be able to see the motivation behind those actions. And then he comes to the conclusion, then shall every man have the praise of God. It's the idea of commendation. Everybody will be measured by their faithfulness to the gospel. And the Lord has the authority not only to make the final determination of whether you were faithful, but he is the one who gives out the commendation the well done my good and faithful servants and it's not about making you anxious or making the reader anxious it's about making sure you understand who has the final measurement so paul makes no hesitation to say out loud i can't find anything my conscience is clean and that's a wonderful tool in times and places and pressures and people who want you to measure all the wrong way. Paul saying, isn't saying he was perfect. He's saying, I don't have the right to de- determine, to, to come to the final conclusion. And for him, that is what set him free from the measurements of whatever he was doing. And it sets you free from the measurement of your parenting, your marriage, your career, your use of finances. You're free because you have to use the right measurement. You don't even have to measure yourself. You're free because your security is in Christ's measurement. Now, I want to be careful here. Paul is not saying the church has no authority to make a moral judgment. He's not saying you have no authority to make a moral judgment. In fact, in the next couple of chapters, he's going to express some shock that the church has not dealt with a man who is living in open immorality. The freedom he's talking about here and the freedom he's expressing is to be free from being judged by the wrong measures. Whether they come from others, whether they come from the world, or whether they originate inside your own head. He's saying the best way to keep all of that in line, though, is to recognize who has the final measurement. And Jesus Christ is that person who tells us what we did, whether what we did was right or wrong. He is the one who decides to tell us or has the right to tell us what we have done, whether it is right or wrong. And the recognizing that authority should bring a sense of internal steadiness. Because if he measures the final measurement, you can say this, the Lord is the one who gave me two kids, or no kids, or six kids. It is the Lord who gave me a husband. It is the Lord who kept me single. It is the Lord who took away my husband. It is the Lord that gave me this ministry or that ministry. It is the Lord who gave me this talent or that ability. And his judgments then will be on the situation he has put me in. And you know that his measurements are going to be perfect. He will see all of it. And that means when his praise and honor and commendation comes to you, which he will give... You will know it is not a mistake. And it should make that, com- that commendation then should be the one you seek after the most. So all of us, all of us use the wrong measurements in our life. And those wrong measurements lead to insecurity or in some cases even unfound arrogance. The measurement of what a social group values or what the world values or even what you yourself yourself values, those are all wrong. The right measurement is gospel faithfulness. The righteousness or the right measurement isn't whether you fit into a stamped size on a waistband. The right measurement is if you live and share the gospel with the gracious gifts you have been given in the place you have been sovereignly put. In every Mom, every wife, every husband, every worker should run to the safety and security of having Christ as the one who has the authority to make the final measurement. And to look and to pursue and to seek after the commendation, the great one that says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. As we all struggle sinfully with measuring our life all the wrong way. That you set forth this is what your requirement is. And you remind us that only your son has the authority to make the final measurement. And Lord, that is not for us to be a thing of insecurity or anxiety, but to know that when he looks at our life, he will see, and he will see clearly. And when we come face to face, and he gives out that commendation, well done, my good and faithful servant, we will know that it is not a mistake. We thank you for the joy that we can be single-minded in pursuing that commendation and measuring our life by gospel faithfulness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.